Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. Uh, it is Tuesday, uh, July 5th, 9.09 a.m. It's a little late to be starting this podcast today, but I don't have any meetings in the morning. And I probably won't have time to, um, yeah, sorry, someone was messaging me right then. <laughs> yeah, but probably won't have time to do this later during the week. So figured I'd go ahead and do it today. Do it in the morning. Probably should have did it earlier, but woke up a little late. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, probably going to be relatively short. Um, let me see. So, I'm trying to see if because <laughs> I know what I want to talk about, but I don't know if I want to go straight into it. Um, yeah, might as well, might as well, because the only other stuff I have is just like, yeah, it's been it's been a cooler weekend with my family, you know, um, had little get-togethers, went hiking. Um, to two separate trails. Uh, that was actually a pretty funny story. Like the first one, went with my brother to Arabia Mountain. Uh, it's not really a mountain per se, but <laughs> but it's like a huge rock. Um, like I don't know what kind of rock that was. Granite or something? Not, I don't think it was granite. Some some stone quarry that or some place that used to be a stone quarry um, a couple decades ago. Maybe even a couple like almost a hundred years ago, something like that. But. Um, yeah, it's 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 weird. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like Stone Mountain. Um, well, that doesn't really explain much for for people who haven't been there. But it's like <laughs> they call it a mountain, but it's, it's really like huge ass rock, huge ass boulder that you can climb up. Um, and maybe that's what all mountains are. I don't know. <laughs> but these are not mountains in the sense of that you would see in like like a actual mountain range, like a. Everest or even like a rocky mountain or anything like that it's nothing like that it's like a really big rock (laughs) uh bigger than a hill but not at all close to a mountain but it's the closest thing we have to a mountain I think here in uh south Georgia not really even not even south Georgia but you know Atlanta area um Stone Mountain is, is is big enough to where it takes a quite a while to to get to the top but many people do it every day it's like a tourism spot basically um and it's nice i've been there a couple times but it's been a while since i've been but uh it's it's okay and arabia mountain is even smaller than stove mountain um takes maybe five minutes to get to the top (laughs) if that if you're taking your time Uh, my brother and i ran once we finally got there and uh was a little bit winded because you know it's still a little incline but it was nice it's a nice little view um, you can see, you know, a good amount of the trees for quite a while around. It's pretty cool. And um, it was funny because I was trying to, they had a little quote-unquote map that I was trying to read. And it was like a little lake. And I wanted to go there first before I we went to the mountaintop. But turns out, I, either I misread the, the, the map or the map was just made wrong or something. I don't know. Um, I, I really think it was made wrong, even though I probably didn't misread it as well. I definitely didn't misread it, actually. <laughs> but it still felt wrong because when you looked at the Google Maps, you know, the satellite imagery, it looked totally different. The topology looked totally different than what the map was indicating. So, I don't know. It was kind of weird. But <laughs> either way, 
my brother and I, <laughs> we went the wrong way. Had a circle all the way back around. And then um, we just went up the mountaintop. And then from there we went back down and finally found the lake, which was more so behind the mountain than on the side of it, which the map kind of indicated. Again, maybe I read it wrong. But it was, it was a fun little um, excursion for my brother and I. Um, walking around this little mountain top, this little rock, rock top, <laughs> rock hill. Um, and that was cool. And then the following day went with my, again, with my brother, but also my partner and my sister and her partner um, and my little cousin to walk on uh, East Palisades Trail, which is like another one of these parks along the Chattahoochee River. This was a little bit further south, but it's still kind of far of a drive, about a 40 minute drive from my house. But um, it was cool. It was really cool. We, um, my, my sister was late, so we was chilling at the little riverside where all the people take their dogs to go and splash in the water. So we were chilling there for a while, waiting for, and then we finally started walking this trail. It's a nice little view of the river as you're walking. And then it starts going uphill. <laughs> And they were not ready for that. They were not ready for that. <laughs> but it was fun. Um, unfortunately, we didn't... Like, the whole goal of it, for at least for my brother and I, was to make it to the bamboo forest. Because apparently there's like a little little bamboo um, patch of trees and stuff like that at the end of this trail. About an hour walk. Hour walk. And uh, we were almost there. Probably, probably three quarters of the way there. And then it started raining. I was like, oh, no. I was hoping we could maybe squish it out a little bit and then outlast the rain because for the last couple, like, weeks, week or two, it's been having, quote-unquote, rain, like scattered thunderstorms where it rains for, like, five minutes and then it's gone. <laughs> um, so I was hoping this would be it. But when it started raining, then it started getting harder and it was, like, lightning and thunder. I was like, oh, dang. Oh dang. So we ended up having to walk all the way back in the rain um, for about 30 minutes. Got soaked. We all got soaked. And by the time we got back, it was, it was you know, kind of coming down. It was, it was like lightening up. I don't think it was finished though because it was, it was still going when we were driving away. But it was, that was unfortunate. <laughs> but it was still a cool experience, you know. It was just funny. To have that experience just walk walk in the rain for a while yes it was frustrating but it was also fun and in a in a you know new new experience novelty kind of way so hopefully we can go back one of these weekends to actually make it to the bamboo forest and uh hopefully people will be more prepared so they're not complaining as much <laughs> but it was it was cool um then yesterday I had a little barbecue with my folks um, I did, they did some karaoke and whatnot, got my hair retwisted, so it was cool, alright, so that's all the happy-go-lucky stuff, <laughs> unfortunately, there's been a lot of crazy stuff in the news lately, you know, a lot of crazy stuff going on, so as you probably know already, whether or not you're in the States, we've had some significant problems lately so number one Roe versus Wade got overturned so yeah this is a, 
this is a straight seg, not even a segue, a straight tangent into some dark stuff. Um, but I, I really wanted to talk about this stuff because it is super important. And um, it just really just drives the, the, the point home and what I've been learning and talking about all this all this time. You know, so Roe versus Wade got overturned, uh, which means uh, supposedly it's supposed to give the freedom for the states to decide, you know, about abortion or whatever. Or whatever. But of course, because many of these states are backwards, ass backwards, they already had these trigger laws. So they're already, you know, putting in place, uh, making abortion legal, already did put in place in many of these states. Um, which is extremely concerning for many, many uh, reasons. And then, not necessarily related, but I still kind of related, is the mass shootings. So there's been even more mass shootings. There's apparently one big one um, over the weekend on July 4th, I believe it was. I forgot exactly where. Um, Right on Twitter, some Highland Park. I'm not sure what, what state that's in. But there were people on Twitter who were in it and they were talking about it. And it was, it's, it's wild. And the reason why I call it related is because it's directly related to the fact that we have no gun, um, you know, no real gun regulations here in the States. Pretty much anyone can get a gun for any reason at any age. I say any age, but... I mean, technically, you can't get a gun when you're a kid, but you basically can. Like, people under 18 can get a gun with very little, you know, effort. Just think about that for a second. Like, it, it takes you, you have to get a permit and then learn how to drive in order to, you know, to drive a car. Even though you can start fairly young, I think you get a permit by the age of, like, 14 or something like that. But um, you still have to, you know, learn how to drive and prove that you can drive. <laughs> Um, in order to get a license, but in order to get a gun, you you don't really need much of that, and you, <laughs> which is kind of crazy, right? And it's not just a hunting gun. Again, it's you know full on rifle, AR-15, and all this other stuff, right? So I'm not even sure who did the mass shooting this time, what they were using, but it doesn't really matter because <laughs> the fact is they were ma- using a gun that was built to kill humans, right? And the whole folks are, are Second Amendment, Second Amendment, or whatever. Don't realize, or maybe they do realize, but they don't freaking care that the entire point of the Second Amendment was to be able to help the citizens or allow citizens to be able to fight back against a, a government, a controlling government. Not to facilitate the mass killing of the people, <laughs> of the public, of citizens. Alright? And... For some reason, these same people who really believe in the Second Amendment, who claim they believe in the Second Amendment, also believe in having a strong military. The same military that they would use to <laughs> kill or at least stop you know, any sort of rebellious incursion in the United States of America. The same military uh, complex that's tied to the CIA and the FBI, who we know are not only spying on Americans, but have measures in place to pretty much stop any American from a so-called, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? 
um, goodness, what's the term? God damn it. <laughs> but basically betrayal the country. Betraying the country, right? What they did to Snowden and all that. With the Patriots Act and stuff like that, right? And they have all these measures in place. And these people who usually support the Second Amendment are also usually the people who support this sort of work, this sort of laws, this sort of regulations, this sort of um, power creep. So you have to ask, what do they think they're going to do with their little bit of guns, right? It's not going to stop the fact that this, this military that is overfunded and that now has the weapon, has the power to do pretty much anything <laughs> with these weapons, you know? They could drive a tank into your house. And people be like, oh, he's probably a terrorist, probably deserved it, right? Like, it's it's really crazy, right? The only thing that's going to stop these people is not what guns you have. It's your skin color. And that's that's what's really, really frustrating about this stuff. And you, and you, you can really see this with things like these mass killings and these, you know, um, shooters and things like that. Because every time, every time you look in the news and see who's, who's, who's doing the killing. Or not even the news. If you just, you know, find out who's doing the killing yourself on social media nowadays, like people doing it direct, is, you don't even have to go to the media. Like I barely even watch. I don't even watch the news at all. Not traditional news. You know, I just watch people. <laughs> but nonetheless, you see who's doing the killing, and it's almost always some white kid, right? And when the cops go and get them, they're either quote unquote scared. Like the cops who didn't go in into that elementary school stop that shooter. Or they find some way to sit down and talk to them. But as soon as some black person or some colored person, you know, some brown person, some Hispanic person is perceived to be any sort of violent, they, they gun them down. Barely even a thought. All right? And this is not even like, again, this is not some conspiracy. This is not some... You know, sensational. No, it's just the facts. Like, you can just look it up. <laughs> it, it, it's really ridiculous. Right? So it's not the guns that will stop the government from taking your rights or doing whatever. It's whoever has the power. <laughs> and right now, that's usually white people. You know, wealthy people. And no, it's not the same thing there. But, unfortunately... It's kind of preconceived. It's preconceived, meaning that you see this person that is, you know, probably white, and you say, oh, he's probably wealthier, probably more, quote-unquote, valuable, or whatever kind of calculation is going on in your brain, or part of my my uh, um, tribe, whatever you want to call it like that. It's it's really ridiculous. It's it's absolutely insane. You know, with the Roe versus Wade thing, we call this a democracy. Supposedly, say people can can vote. Your vote matters and all this other stuff, but it literally doesn't because these were put in place from the Supreme Court or whatever, and nobody voted for this. <laughs> Alright, if you look at the, the polls, the, the acceptance polls or whatever they have, most Americans, surprisingly so, at least 60% don't want this to happen. Like, don't 
want abortion to be, you know, um, illegal. They may have different, you know, stand on different ways about it, about when you should have abortion or this, that, and the other. But most Americans, at least, again, a majority, think that this should not be the case. Like, you, should, you shouldn't be able to ban abortion. And yet, of course, you have laws like this kicking in place. And at least half the states, you know, following suit. So you have to ask who 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 really who really voted for this, you know? Who has the power to vote for this? People say, oh, people can vote in these states' elections, and people just don't vote enough. That's why this went. But no. Because many of these votes are literally in areas in which are gerrymandered, redlined. Like we have the facts here. We know this pe- people do this. You know, Democrats and Republicans both. But because Republicans are often in these rural areas, you know, they can split the votes up. They can draw the line such that you have these rural areas with primarily religious folk who are their voter base who will have the most say in any region in their state. Even if they are actually a um, sizable minority or maybe even a majority of people who believe otherwise. Because of the way, you know, our entire representative democracy works, so-called democracy, they can split it up such that a place that has a... Why are you honking at me? I don't even know this person. (laughs) Uh, They can split it up such that a person who has a, or a state that has less people can have more representatives or the same amount of representatives as a state that has more people, such as, you know, California or like Wyoming or something like that. The entire idea of a representative democracy is pretty much a slap in the face to democracy. Right? You're supposedly supposed to vote for someone that represents your interests, but we all fucking know... <laughs> You know, what, no matter what side of the table you're on, or what side of the, I don't, don't want to call it a table or anything like that, of these politics that you're on, that the representatives care more about their constituencies, care more about their lobbyists, care more about their the people paying for their political uh, rallies and things like that. These government corporate. Big government groups or corporations, supposedly they're not government groups, but they're all pretty much in the same pool. People who have money, right? Who can pay for these politicians to run and to do this, that, the other. You have these super rich church groups who can preach, um, what do they call it? Wealth evangelism or something like that. That God said you should be rich and then you should pay most of your tithes and all this other stuff. It's it's pretty crazy. Right? You have these pastors with private jets and big ass mansions and things like that. And they can just justify it to say, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. God wanted me to have this. I need to, I need this to spread the myth to spread the word. And people just just buy into it. Alright. 
I'm just venting here, but what I really wanted to say is that this is what I mean. And I mean that government doesn't make sense. When I say that we need anarchy, that anarchy is, <laughs> is the answer, this is what I mean. Because you literally cannot have a, a nation, a, a group of people that's really millions of people and then expect them all to be able to live together cohesively and you know call that a democracy when you just I'm saying this terribly but for some reason we have this idea that you can have a democracy with 300 million people 300 million people when we know that a human being is not capable we just don't have the mental capacity to know to have any sort of relationship with more than a couple thousand people at most and once you get really above of course you know Dunbar's number a couple hundred people 150 to uh, maybe a couple hundred more depending on the type of person and technology involved and all this other stuff, all right? You can only really have a strong relationship with a couple hundred people at most. And a couple thousand people is pretty much the max of what you might be able to, you know, meet in your lifetime. As in know their name, face, things like that. And yet we expect people to live under the same laws as somebody who you might most likely will never meet will never see who have a belief system that's so completely different than yours that they see your lifestyle as completely immoral or something like that and you see theirs as completely immoral like it's, it's no real compromise that you can have there Right? You have this idea, these people who want abortion or who don't want abortion, they have this idea that it is that you're killing kids, right? <laughs> you're killing children, this, that, and the other. Even though the facts show that number one, banning abortion does nothing to stop abortion. It just makes it worse. Because people are still gonna have abortion, this is gonna do it unsafely. <laughs> Like every, every, back in the day, what they do, they stuck hangers up there. Hangers! In order to not have this child. It doesn't matter what you feel about this. The fact is, if people do not want to have a child, you cannot force them to have a child. It's going to just make it worse for everybody. Alright? These mothers are going to die. These kids are going to have terrible lives, even if, if they survive. And then you have more and more of these people who are unhinged, who were raised in terrible systems, unloved, this, that, and the other. Right? But it's not even the, the worst of it. It's because most of these abortions are not just parents who just, you know, up and be like, Oh, I don't want to have this child, kid or whatever. 
No, a lot of these abortions are parents, mothers, who cannot, who will not survive childbirth due to some medical problem or another. Childbirth is really hard. All right, this is what people don't. <laughs> this is another thing that goes into the whole. Oh, capitalism brings the most people out of poverty. We raise the whole, the whole life, uh, um, lifespan of humanity and stuff like that. No, you have not. People have always been living about 70 years, give or take a couple of decades. Always. For as long as we can, we can have this data going back hundreds of thousands of years. Humanity has been living for a long time. I mean, for that period, for that amount of time. What brought the average lifespan down, or why it was so low, was because people were living for only, or rather, kids were dying out of childbirth mothers were dying during childbirth kids who were not able to you know come out right during childbirth died early before the age of five or nine or whatever and that brings a quote-unquote average lifespan because a lot of people you know at some point like we had a uh um infant mortality rate of roughly what 50 percent meaning it was a coin toss whether or not your child lived out of childbirth or, or you know the first couple of years of life and so of course that would bring the quote unquote average lifespan down you know what brought that back up having freaking contraceptives having abortions being able to choose when and where you have these children so that you can ensure it's the best choice for yourself for your family for the kid You don't allow abortions, you're going to bring the average lifespan of entire humanity down, or at least of this country. Because now, <laughs> right, if it's not safe to have this kid, oh, too bad, you're going to have it anyways. And now the, the, the unborn child dies, the mother dies, the family is, you know, tragic. And again, that's many of these cases, especially when you come into the third trimester, right? Most of the time, the vast majority, 99 probably percent of the time, I'm not sure the exact data, but you can look it up. Last time I checked it, I think it was like 97, 98, or some crazy percent, right, of the abortions in the, in the third trimester. The, the ones that all the, you know, Republicans are talking about. The vast majority of these were because of extraneous circumstances where the doctor said, okay, uh, something went wrong, and if you have this child, you will most likely die. And the baby might not even make it either. <laughs> so, like, this is an extremely hard choice. Or even worse, the baby will be stillborn. Like, they, something happened in the womb, and the baby won't even, they're already dead in your womb. So the question is not, can we make this baby come out alive? No, the question is, how can we get this corpse out of this mother's body be, before her body drains her, it, itself of life? Like this, this is really hard stuff. This is scary stuff. And it happens very often because childbirth is really hard. I'm always amazed that my mom had, you know, five kids, six kids. And one of them didn't make it when he was younger. All right.
It's always amazing. She was raised in this culture where you can't have abortions. Right? I love all my siblings, but I ain't gonna lie. Like it was, it was hard growing up. You know, with all these kids. I love my siblings, but I really know my mom had a hard time with the first husband. It was abusive. If she had a choice, she was able to run or do something else. Maybe she could have avoided the first ten years of complete, you know. Terrible shit. That's that's right. If she would have aborted me, <laughs> maybe she would have a, had a better life. All right. I never even, you know, think about it like that myself. This is the thing. It's like people have this idea that, you know, life is precious. Life is amazing. And I love life. Like I actually want to be immortal. <laughs> like, I would love to be alive for as long as possible, right? But at the same time, we have to recognize that life is also hard. And a huge reason why it's hard is because of this bullshit. <laughs> it's not because I, don't, I really don't think life has to be hard in the way that it is today. I think there's always going to be some sort of suffering or some sort of adversity, some sort of problems to solve. But it matters what kind of problems you solve. It's like playing a game, right? Life, if life is a game, and in many ancient cultures, life, you know, they saw life as a game, and that's what made it, their, their culture so fulfilling. But if life is a game, then you want the challenge to be mastering that game. You don't want the challenge to be figuring out how to play the game. Imagine trying to play chess, and, you, and I've made this metaphor before, but imagine trying to play chess and you don't know the rules to the game. You don't know what the pieces do. You don't know what the checkerboard means. And you just have to figure it out as you go. You're not going to enjoy the game of chess. You're not even going to know you're playing the game of chess. And sure, some people might be able to figure something out to make some sort of fun out of that. But most people would be like, what the fuck is this? Like, what, the, what is this? Why am I forced to play this game and have no idea what the rules are? That's what we do here in America, in our current society. We put everybody in this, this nation, in this state, in this government, and say, oh, boom. All these rules in place. All this power out there. And you don't even know what... It's, it makes, you're not even playing a game of chess half the time. Half the time, the game is being played on you. Half the time, you're a pawn. And you don't even know it. It makes it even worse. <laughs> This is why we need anarchy. Anarchy is not just chaos and danger and mess and whatever boogeyman you want to hear. It's so like it's crazy the propaganda. Like uh, be watching random stuff and people are like, oh, it's gonna descend into anarchy. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Because this already is chaos. This already is. A goddamn hot mess. This already is a system in which the strong men, right, the people with power, can do whatever the hell they want. And everybody else has to just <laughs> put along. People claim that, oh, 
if it's anarchy, then the person with the biggest stick wins, right? The person with the biggest guns, the the strong men, right? The, the, it's going to become a despot, like Africa or whatever. When really, it was the colonies that destroyed Africa. Made into a system where the only, you know, organizations that can fit, the only nations that can actually survive there are the despots. Because any sort of democracy that they try to put in place, guess what? Who comes along and says, "Oh no, we don't like that person," and this is again not a conspiracy. We 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 have seen the CIA documents. Some of it has already been um, released. We know that people do this. They go in. They don't like who's going to be in charge in this democracy, because you know the oil reserves or the mineral deposits there. And say, oh no, we're going to put this person in place. And that person, oh, he was a despot. But it, we can control him. This is facts, bro. But even outside of Africa, this is how America already is. If you have power, you can do almost anything you want. Pretty much. So, so long as you don't get caught. Even if you get caught, so what? If you have enough power, you can make that go away too. Meanwhile, the rest of us are just putting along. And some people are like, oh yeah, this, we have freedom, we have freedom. What freedom do you have? You're only free to do whatever whoever is in power allows you to do. If you align with their interests, fine. But what if you don't align? Most of us in America don't even know what freedom is. Don't even know what democracy is. And we want to <laughs> claim that we have democracy. That we're the democracy champions of the world or whatever. It's absolutely bonkers. The last democracy we had in America were the Native Americans. <laughs> the Iroquois had much more of a democracy than we ever had. If it weren't for folks like Condi and Ronk, you know, came over to the to Europe and was telling off the Europeans of how, you know, stupid they are, <laughs> he was much more, you know, um, dim diplomatic than that, but pretty much telling them how they have no real freedom, no real choice in their, in their system and everything like that. That sparked the Enlightenment. If it wasn't for these Native Americans that showed us what actual democracy looked like, we would not have what we have today. We wouldn't even have the pretense of what we have today. But they went and took, you know, these ideas, so-called founding fathers, and said, "Oh yeah, this is this is, we're gonna we're gonna do that." Well, of course, they didn't. <laughs> They didn't realize that, or maybe they did, but they didn't care, or maybe, they, most likely they did, didn't realize it because they lived in a society in which they fundamentally believed that, you know, their system was the best system and they just had to make a few adjustments. But nonetheless, they didn't realize that having a nation, building a government system at all, inevitably creates these, these power plays. The system in which 
powerful people can do whatever the hell they want and everyone else is just you know there and it's frustrating because you know you have people out here marching and this that and the other but even with stuff they're calling for it's like oh yeah we have to vote something else in, in, in law But how is that going to change anything? People can overturn these votes at any point in time. Right? If you have people with enough power or enough sway or belief in their backwards <laughs> belief system. And they can pretty much, you know, push along their agenda, as people like to say. That's why we need anarchy. Because in an anarchic system, you can have these people who with these crazy beliefs in their own little community. <laughs> in their own little community. And people who don't like that can leave out of that community and go join one of these other communities that believe in something different. For some reason, people don't understand that if you don't have a choice to not follow rules that you don't believe in, then you don't really have a choice. If you don't have an option to say, you know what, no, (laughs) I don't, you know, recognize your authority. I don't want to follow your rules. It doesn't follow my, you know, belief system or whatever. If you don't have that ability, then you don't really have a choice. What choice do you have if you're stuck in a system where people can, you know, ban abortion or have these crazy gun laws? Or, you know, let's put it with these, 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 uh, quote unquote people on the right or whatever. You've got the, you're forced, let's say you're forced to, to give people their pronouns as if that's the worst thing possible. But, but but nonetheless, you know, forcing people is bad at anything with anything. So let's say you're forced people to say their pronouns and you have no other options, right? You can't not do it because now that's in law. Let's say it got in law somehow. <laughs> but you have to force people, you have to, you're forced to say people's correct pronouns. And if you're not, you get put in jail or something like that, right? So clearly, you don't really have a choice in that system. And yet, that's the system that we have today. That's this quote-unquote democracy. And you might say, oh, no, it corrects itself. You see, just like people today, they, they protest and then we get the laws changed. Like, no. <laughs> it takes a long time for any of these changes to happen. Especially to go in a more progressive, you know, route. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of years. And in that time, people are being jailed. People are being killed. People are being um, assaulted. People are being, you know, (laughs) bullied. People are being oppressed. And oftentimes, just like even with abortion, 
even though Roe versus Wade, you know, happened like what, 50 years ago? It was still very difficult to do any any sort of abortion if you live anywhere in the South, if you live in any of these places like here in Georgia or in Texas or anything like that. It was already difficult. It wasn't like it was easy anyways. Even with civil rights, you know? Now people are wondering, oh, are black folks next? Are we are they going to take away our voting rights again? <laughs> are women next? Gonna be, not going to be able to vote? People don't remember when the Constitution was made, they weren't thinking about women. Half the population of the entire country, the entire world, they weren't thinking about women. <laughs> so we really think that we live in this in this free, you know, freedom places, this democratic place, and yet these so-called laws can be overturned. And very often not in the direction that you want them to be. It's not like we overturn, you know, some bad laws half the time. Still got bail and all this other stuff and Patriot Act and a bunch of other insane stuff. And we just regress. I'm just I'm just talking now, but this is why we need anarchy. <laughs> I'm not being super super uh comprehensive with my arguments right now because it's more of a venting situation, I guess, but if you've heard any of my other podcasts, you hear my, my better arguments here, but nonetheless an anarchic system community you have this ability to voluntary, voluntarily associate and voluntarily disassociate meaning if you disagree with the group with how they do things you can leave you can actually leave and there's little to no barriers to leave in America if you disagree where are you going to go? <laughs> Alright? You have to leave the entire country. And even then, there's many other places who still have the same corrupt system. So where are you going to go? And it's extremely difficult to leave. Because, of course, you have capitalism. Which is the other, you know, side to this. <laughs> hand in hand with this... This government system. That's why people don't understand. Like, the economic system goes hand in hand with the government system, with the uh, legal system, or whatever you want to call it. They both help each other to keep people oppressed, to keep people controlled. And what makes it worse is that. I don't believe in these conspiracies where you have, you know, there's just some shadowy organization or some lizards, you know, controlling people. No. What makes it worse is that, or I'm not sure if it's worse per se, but what's scary about it is that nobody is really in charge of the whole thing. It's just whoever can, you know, rise to the top. And whoever can rise to the top are almost always those psychopathic, sociopathic people. People who see the world as a system of uh, 
values. <laughs> who see people as, as a, a quantifiable value. How much they're worth. And you know, as a resource that you can spend. Because that's what the system entails. That's what the system requires. If you, you know, wish to be able to control it. If you wish to be able to have any sort of power. You have to divorce your mind from any sort of real empathy. Right? I probably want to do that study one day. Like even people like, let's say, you know, AOC or something like that. Who who is pretty empathetic. Probably isn't as empathetic for people on the other side. Right? The Republicans, the religious folks. I'm not say I'm not sure for sure. Can't say for sure, of course. But you kind of see that in the rhetoric. In order for her to ha- gain that power, with the left, with the democracy, with the <laughs> Demo- ah goodness, with the left, you have to necess- especially nowadays with the the right, you know, being gung ho about you know. Um, Shit slinking, <laughs> shit slinking politics. You have to be a personality. You have to be able to denounce the other side as deplorables or whatever. And it necessarily means you have to, you know, divorce some of that empathy. And again, it's not necessarily always both sides. Like on one side, you have people who are just trying to exist, and on the other side, you have people who who want to control that existence. Who says your entire existence is wrong. It's evil. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy. Alright, so it's not really a both sides thing. But nonetheless, the point here is that even people on whatever side you see as evil. To me, it's these neo-Nazis and things like that who will literally kill me just because I'm a different color than them. But, you know. Or rather, who want to have... A, a world in which people like me don't exist right, maybe they don't want to kill me but they don't want to see people like me existing in their future which is in some, many ways way worse <laughs> but nonetheless you know even for people like them it's important to realize that they're still humans we have this idea of good and evil but in reality evil doesn't really exist as, as like the cartoons people aren't just evil just because we don't even know what that means half the time. When we say evil, what we really mean is humans. Or maybe even other animals, I don't know, other creatures. Sometimes we ascribe evil to other things. But nonetheless, people usually who do things in which we really do not like. Now, of course, that's a little bit underplaying it. That's very much underplaying it. It's people who do things that are horrendous, usually. Right? They take life. Usually without any sort of remorse. Right? And we say, oh, that's evil. That's bad. That's not good. Why? Probably because it's, you know, antisocial. Meaning it goes against the, the, the social organization of our entire species. Right? We're kind of evolved into this highly social organism. In which we see other people who look vaguely like us as part of our kin. Even if they were not blood related, right? Still, what it means to be human is to be social, 
to be able to communicate with another person who looks vaguely like you. No other animal can do this as far as we can tell, at least not very well. <laughs> you know, the closest you see is something like elephants or dolphins, things like that. But what makes humans so amazing is that you can see another human being, regardless of whether or not they're related to you, regardless of where they were born, you can figure out some way to communicate with them. Even if they speak a different language, you can figure out some way to communicate with them. And that's amazing. We're an extremely social organism. And so I think that's why when you see a human taking another human's life, even if there is some probable cause there, it's, 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 it's bad. It feels instinctively bad. It feels instinctively bad. Because I, I think that goes against our evolutionary, you know, kind of line, our, our, the way in which we evolved. <laughs> and that makes sense. But the problem is, because we're also conscious, because we have this, this massive meta commentary in our, in our minds, this, this meta environment, this metaverse. <laughs> we have an entire universe in our minds. We run simulations constantly, right? We have these realities in our minds in which we also respond to as if they were real life. And so when you have these realities in your mind, right? You can also play out other things that feel just as real. You can ascribe intent to when somebody else does something. You can ascribe a sense of community and kinship against people who you never even met. People of the same skin color, for instance. Or who are believe in the same God, the same belief system. Or whatever, right? You, you, you can ascribe a sense of kinship that's even closer than just, you know, the fact that you're both of the same species. And because of that, you can ascribe even more, you know, good or bad, you know, feeling to when people of the same kinship, of a closer kinship to you, closer group, gets hurt or is being attacked or whatever. Went off on a tangent there, but the whole point I'm trying to say here is that we live in a system in which doesn't allow us to be fully human, and which requires us to divorce some empathy when we see another person for any number of reasons, right? Because they look different, because they're they live differently because they believe in something different. All, all these things, right? But necessarily, it requires us to, to be that way because we live in a capitalist system which, which presupposes an environment of scarcity. And as you know, if you know anything about psychology, you know, beings, not even just humans, but almost every animal that lives in an environment of perceived scarcity, and I say perceived, that's a pretty important there, of perceived scarcity, behaves more erratically, more selfishly than ones that live in a system of perceived abundance. Being in a capitalist system presupposes, assumes, demands really that we live in a system of perceived scarcity, demands that perception from us. And so 
because of that, you know, we're necessarily more selfish, more um, violent, and all this other stuff. But it's all perceived because we know that people who live in such as egalitarian hunter-gatherer cultures and things like that perceived the world as one of abundance. Regardless of whether or not it really was abundant, right? We, today we might say, oh no, they're not. It wasn't abundant, but they thought it was abundant. So it was abundant. Because the way we think of the world is how we see it. So they thought the world was abundant, regardless of how we would see it. And so they lived differently. They saw, when they saw another stranger, they didn't just go to war. They didn't, you know, no. <laughs> like you see this in their tales. If you look at any aboriginal stories, when they see strangers and things like that, they embrace them. They invite them to the campfire. They say, oh, wow, another human being. Let's figure, I wonder what his story is or her story is or what their story is. And you try to figure that out. You want to bring them in. You know, you don't have this competitive thing. Oh, they're in my territory. No. You want to invite them in and figure out, you know, where they come from. Because the most valuable thing, the, the scarce thing, was their knowledge, their stories. And even, I think that can be to the same today. Even though we have far more people than ever before, even though we have billions of people on this earth, it's still the truth that the, the most scarce thing is other people's company. Other people's ideas and, and, and stories. Because everybody's stories is unique. Nobody has the same story. Even if they, they were raised in the same place and things like that. They still have a different story. Because they have a different consciousness. They have a different, you know, they're a different person. But in the system in which we live in today. There's no reason to... To desire that. In fact, there is a incentive to try and group people up into these tribes, into these, you know, artificial conclaves of, you know, similar people. Okay, you look the same, so you must have the same story. You believe in the same thing, you must have the same story. You, you, you know, whatever. You're on the same political side or whatever, you must have the same story. <laughs> Our systems today incentivize this thought that number one you can cram people into these groups and number two you can divorce your empathy then all right because you've seen one you see them all all right you've seen one black person do something bad they're all must <laughs> it must be something like that right this must be some reason why <laughs> all these black people are you know in these stories of violence and things like that even though we know it's usually an environmental factor. If you put anybody else in a similar type of thing, you see a similar result. Similar environment. But yeah, we call this a democracy when it really is not. Because each person's individual beliefs and stories are not told. Are not allowed to be told. Are not able to be told. Because how can you if you have... Millions of people. Right? There's no way you can hear everybody's story. There's no way you can hear everybody's perspective. So it necessarily means you have to oppress some. It necessarily means you have to ignore some. You have to, you know, cram a bunch together and just assume, you know, the details don't matter. 
necess necessitates that. But in it, this is why we need anarchy. Because in the anarchic system, you can have a community that's fairly small, a couple dozen, a couple hundred, a couple thousand at most. Once it gets to the level in which people feel like they're not heard or not seen or not whatever, they can leave and form their own little community of a couple dozen, a couple hundred, a couple thousand. And it keeps like that. It has, it's a natural cycle. It's a natural, it allows an organic system in which people can move to different groups and communities in which they feel heard, seen, listened to, belong. It's impossible to do that today in our current system. It doesn't matter what you believe. If you believe that, you know, this, that, or other is immoral, is it really okay for you to go and <laughs> force somebody who believes your side is immoral to, to you know, to live in your belief system, to live, live in your community? That's what's scary about this, too. Because, unfortunately, there are some people out there, many people out there, who fundamentally believe that, yeah, it's okay to force people to believe what you believe. <laughs> Because what you believe is the best or the most moral or whatever, right? And that's what's really terrifying. That's why we need anarchy. Because only in this system can those people have power. That's what people don't understand. In an anarchic system, if you believe that other people sh should be forced to believe what you believe, you there's no way for you to do that. There's no way for you to make that happen. There's no laws in which you can make people follow. There's no police in which you can call on to do your bidding. There's no, you know, military to go and invade these people or anything like that. People think, oh, you know, these egalitarian cultures, they lost in history. That's why we're here. Like, no. It took thousands of years to shift from hunter-gatherer egalitarian, mostly egalitarian cultures into more autocratic hierarchical cultures. It took thousands of years, people. And in that time, most people could not communicate. Alright? The Native Americans, they would often go and raid these these new kingdoms that popped up and started doing slavery. They would <laughs> raid them and be like, okay, you gotta break this up. You're not doing slavery. But they couldn't leave a voicemail and say for whoever lives there next, okay, don't do this. Alright? Because it makes sense to have some sort of hierarchy. It makes sense to have some sort of meritocratic system where some people who are a good leader can stay in those positions for a long time. And, you know, it makes sense. For a little bit. And then the next generation comes and it all collapses and it gets worse. The next generation comes and it gets worse. And the next generation. And then you have that boiling, that frog in a boiling pot situation. And before, you know, you had no way to communicate this. You had no way to tell people, hey, if you, if you start this cycle, we know where it's going to end up. Don't do this. There's no way to communicate that. And so, of course, inevitably, you know, you have this happening over and over again until most places are now boiling. have to end this, but, yeah. This is why we need anarchy. I'll probably talk about it more later in another one of these podcasts or something, but... It's just really frustrating, and I hope we can do better. I'll talk about what I've been up to in, in, in the regards of my community building and stuff like that. It's kind of slow going, but 
yeah, we'll discuss that later. Coming up in an hour, and uh, I'll end it here. Thanks for listening, and have a good day. Bye-bye.